Welcome to the Manage Tools Podcast for Monday, December 4th, 2006. Hi everyone, this is Michael Lozan and welcome back to Manager Tools. Today, Mark Horseman and I finish up our conversation on jumpstarting your relationships with your internal customers. Last week, we discussed the first of the five steps, identifying who, prepping your five-minute snapshot, and sending out the first email. Today, we'll finish up with discussing the actual customer meeting and Mark's favorite, because it's the action step, reporting back to your team. Next up was step five. Conducting the interviews. Actually, conducting the interviews. Yeah. Um, some simple reminders that I, that I find that particularly new managers make a lot of rookie mistakes on. First, stick with your plan. Some executives or managers will go off on tangents. And, and look, there's, there's probably nothing you can do about it that, and that's okay. But don't ask more than one, if that, additional question about their pet issues. If they go on for eight or nine minutes about a particular topic and then you ask for insight on that topic, they're going to go on for eight or nine minutes more. And now you're out of luck. You got one of your questions answered. The reason for this, for, for, for sticking to your script as much as possible, don't cut them off, right? But don't delve in and ask the additional question after the fact. Say, great, thank you. I, clearly, we could talk about that. And I've got a few more questions I want to ask you and let them, let, you know, if they want to go over the time, that's one thing, but don't. You know, if they've got a, a particular pet peeve, asking more than one additional question about it is dangerous because the reason for that is you don't want to do, you, you want to develop a similar picture of your team from lots of sources with the ability to compare data. This is one of the things that companies make a mistake on when they interview somebody new. Everybody asks their own interview questions and then we feel like we're touching the elephant in eight different places. The danger of letting them go on and on is that you'll struggle with analysis. Trends will be very hard to see or harder to see anyway. Uh, presenting the data to your team will feel much lower, just like a laundry list, and it won't be terribly motivating. You can't say all 12 people I spoke to said the same thing. If you let them talk about whatever they want to talk about, you may never get to what it is you want to talk about. Okay. Again, try very hard to stick with the 30 minutes. If it looks like you're getting really good data and you want to continue, the last thing to do, but now listen carefully, the last thing we want to do is just dance right through that 30-minute limit. At 30 minutes, you say, look, I only asked for 30 minutes. I know we haven't finished, but I want to be respectful of your time. Listen to what I said again. Look, I only asked for 30 minutes. I know we haven't finished, but I want to be respectful of your time. All you've done, all I've done there is make a statement. We've reached 30 minutes. I haven't said I want more or I want to stop you. I didn't say I want to stop you. Um, because if you say, I want to stop you, they'll assume you have somewhere else to go. At that point, though, if you've told them, hey, I want to be respectful of your time, if they want to continue, lucky you. Um, if not, if, it, if it, you perceive that they're ready to be done, ask them one more question, the last one about feedback and guidance, and then get out of there. Is there a particular tone of this conversation with folks? Yeah, I stole my own thunder on that earlier, Mike. Um, the tone of the meeting is subordination. Not not insubordination, subordination. I can't, I just can't stress this enough. The tone of this meeting is you subordinating your subordinating yourself to an internal customer. Um, if you have internal customers, secretly they think you ought to owe, uh, that you ought to bow to them a hell of a lot more often. Um, 
I really believe it's one of the biggest problems with IT today. They think they're equal to everybody else, as I alluded to before, because nobody else can do anything without their systems. Sometimes legal thinks this, or customer service, or HR, or finance. But it takes everybody to operate a company. Companies exist to allow specialization of labor. That's why big companies exist. Um, it doesn't matter what you think. If you have internal customers, the only way to have a successful relationship with them is to step down and to stop fighting with them over who is in charge and who gets to approve the project list and so on. Now, conducting the interview itself, Mike, obviously is the most powerful step, even if the next one is, is my personal favorite. It's the most powerful because these managers and execs are going to wish that they had done this when they were in your role. Or the ones who did do it are going to love the fact that someone else is doing things right for a change. But <laughs> yeah. but for me, um, the, the real power I've learned from managers who do this is that you've got a foothold established on your relationship with this customer. It is not just an organizational relationship. It is now a personal relationship. Look, HR always has a relationship with management, but they may not have a personal relationship. Okay. Legal always has a relationship formally, officially, organizationally with sales because of contracts and so on. Um, but that doesn't mean it's a personal relationship. And when the crap hits the fan in your organization, organizational relationships mean nothing. Personal relationships rule. So, look, you're creating a relationship. Think carefully about the impression you want to leave. The best impression is effective, efficient, and focused on results that serve the customer. Then we have one more. Report to your team. And like I said, this is this is my favorite. Once you've done the interviews, you're going to look at all the data, and then you're going to present it to your team. And, and it's you, you can say, I'm the voice of the customer in a manner of speaking. Um, now, one thought about being done, okay, in terms of, okay, I've conducted all the interviews. If you've conducted 80% of the interviews, assuming there were 15 or more, roughly, okay, don't wait for those last two that have canceled twice or rescheduled three times. They're probably sending you a message. Certainly, if they're critical, if they're the 900-pound gorilla, okay, wait a little bit, a couple of weeks maybe. But don't be 80% done for three or four or five weeks and not decide to cut your losses and go forward with the briefing. And if we're talking about a 900-pound gorilla and you wait a couple of weeks and they're still not there, brief everybody on what you have thus far and say, when I get these other two people done, I'll come back and I'll update you and, and we'll agree to put them into the mix and talk about how they're different or the same or so on. I, I, I talk to managers and say, yeah, I've got two more to do, but I'm waiting, and it's been eight weeks. Oh, my Lord. No. No. Go. Brief your team on what you have. Yeah. What you've done with your internal or external customers up to this point is completely, almost completely invisible to your organization until you do this. Yes. The last thing you want to send a message to your team about is that somehow you're not focused on customers. That's a great point. I hadn't thought about it, but you're right. Yeah, absolutely. You're out there doing it. Your team feels like you're not with them. You're not available. You're out talking to executives like you're maybe they think you're sucking up. Until you brief them, there's no knowledge of the in the organization about the, the aggregation of all this data you've gotten. Um, okay, and speaking of data, once you've got the data, analyze it. Compare all your answers to each question across all the different interviews. See what patterns emerge. Obviously, we I can't know now what data you're what, what insights you're going to have. Um, other than probably you can do a hell of a lot better than you're doing now in terms of serving your internal customers. Um, the worst case of all is you end up presenting the data to your team as each question, which all the answers with all the answers you got for it listed beneath it. That's the worst case because that's not analysis. That's just raw data. Um, 
But look, if there's a key theme, and there usually is, I recommend you first give a question-by-question question overview of the answers. You can, you can abstract, you can summarize, you can, you can, you can uh, um, suggest that there was a general theme to any particular question, and then allow your team to gradually come to the same larger conclusion that you have. If you start with your, the results of your analysis, your conclusion, your summary, and they don't like your summary, they're going to think it's from you and not from the customers. Some of your team is going to shut down and never hear the data that led to your result. It's far better. Is there a danger is, here that... I'm sorry? Is there a danger here based on the maturity of your organization that they might come to, you know, your organization might come to the wrong conclusion about yeah, it? Yeah. They're going to say, well, they just don't understand. They don't know. They're not, they don't know how hard it is to do what we do. Yeah, and it's your job as the manager to say, no, the customer is right because they're the customer. Um, and if the customer wants... Okay, but that's got to come in a conversation versus just telling them the conclusion Right, exactly. Is that your point? Yeah, you want them asking questions about what the customer said. And, and, and look, because they don't talk to customers, but they do talk to each other, they're going to tend over time to have a central tendency around what we're doing is okay. But if it's not okay in the mind of the customer then you need the customers to help you motivate the team to consider changing. And there's always going to be yeah. uh, three groups. I, the percentages are not really critical, but there's a group that immediately wants to embrace change. There's a group that will never change. And there's a group in the middle that we're trying to win over. <laughs> yeah. And let me make a point here um, about, particularly about technical organizations, because um, in a lot of, because we have a lot of listeners that are, that come out of kind of the technical environment. There, there are a lot of organizations that are set up, particularly technical, technical ones, that are set up such that they are almost discouraged from talking yes. to customers. There is a program management or project management organization between them and the customer. And so there's a danger of, of folks saying here that, okay, if, if I'm an IT development organization and there's some front office or program management organization between right. me and my customer, there's a danger of thinking that I should be going and talking to the program management Good organization, point. and that is absolutely wrong thinking. Now, it might drive the program management organization crazy, by the way, that you're having direct conversations with your customer, but you need to yep. do it. Now, nothing wrong with talking to the program management organization, too. Uh, and and and, uh, and then if, you, if they're way off base in terms of what your customers say versus what they're saying, go and talk to them again um, and say, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? Um, you've got to have a relationship right. with them as well. That's a great, great point. Yep. And, and that there, there is a lot of organizational power associated with having good relationships with the end customer, which is what, exactly why program management organizations don't want you to have it. Um, and your people know it. As soon as you're in this conversation, when you're briefing back your team and you're talking about conversations with the customer and the fact that you now have a relationship with them, they absolutely, and this is very true in technical organizations, understand that there is power associated with those relationships. I find it fascinating. You know, you're right. I, uh, I just sort of take that for granted. You and I talk about this all the time. And yet, what you said is they won't, the program management organization won't like it because they want that power and they don't want to share it with anybody else. Interesting. We all know that it'd be better if you knew, as a manager, that you knew, and yet, still, the program management organization, because they are people and not perfect beings, want that power for themselves. Yeah, fascinating. All right. Where did I interrupt you? Sorry. 
No, that's great. Boy, I'm so glad you shared that because there are. We have a lot of technical listeners. Um, okay. Um, so, this again, this step really shouldn't be my favorite. It should be, obviously, step five is a linchpin of this whole process, which is conducting the interviews. But it's my favorite for a simple reason. When a manager goes through this process in the first few weeks of his or her tenure and then briefs her team, you get immediate credibility with your team. Look, if the team already existed when you took over, everyone knows that they know more than you do. And the difficult ones on your team will hold that against you until you prove otherwise. This process proves otherwise quite quickly. Because too often, your team will not know what the customer thinks. Um, From now on, you will be the voice of the customer to your team, which you should be anyway. Now you don't have to brief them from a position lacking knowledge and having some some folks constantly disagree with you and sharpshoot you because you don't know the technical stuff and you couldn't do their job and you haven't been here very long and who are you again anyway? And why did somebody choose you? And I don't like the person who chose you anyway, so you have three strikes, five strikes, nine strikes against you. Um, so I really like this in terms of credibility and, and, and not just in terms of your credibility, but in terms of customer credibility. It's not so much that you're credible as it is that customers are always credible and you now are the voice of the customer. So the customer's credibility flops over onto you. Yeah, this is great. I, I, I think this, this point is um, brilliant. Don't let it go to your head. Yeah. I, think, I think it's a great point. And th- the other thing that's great about it is, is that most of the folks in your organization don't feel as if they should be the ones. <clears throat> they don't feel as if they're the ones that should have the relationship with the yeah. customer. They think you should. So you're establishing credibility in your organization by doing things that they think you should be doing anyways and not establishing credibility or power by trying to do the things that they should exactly. be doing. That's brilliant. You know, you know what? This is this is not the time to share this story, but but there is a kernel of truth to it, and it's one of my favorite business stories. And so I, I've got to share it. There is a great story about customer service, and and isn't it interesting? A lot of IT people say, "Well, I'm not in customer service," and yet here we are talking about serving customers. Well, if you're serving customers, that's customer service, folks. It may not be at a counter, it may not be taking returns, but it is customer service. Um, um, but but there's a story about. Um, um, I want to say it's Stanley Marcus, the the uh, one of the founders of Neiman Marcus, the very expensive uh, retail store in the United States, famous for a high level of customer service. Um, in the beginning, I think Nordstrom's was actually patterned on some of that. And, and Mr. Marcus walked up to a uh, a fur counter. There was a, a lady, a, a customer, a longtime customer uh, that was at the fur counter, and the he, he walks up and says, "What's going on here?" and and um, and, and the customer says, well, she's arguing with me about this return. I don't like it. It's got a spot on it or whatever. And um, she, the, the, the person behind the counter said, well, sir, we're discussing about this particular fur. And the liquor says, no, you're not. Give the lady what she wants. And it was just clear. It was This is customer service. Give the lady what she wants. Give the customer what they want. And, and, and I, I really believe that the closer IT gets to their customers, as painful as it is, or the closer legal or HR or finance gets to their customers, as painful as it is, while certainly still sticking to the fundamental tenets that you need to in order to make the organization work, um, I think it's very powerful. And if you become known in the organization as the voice of the customer, that is always a term of great respect. Now, I understand that we have uh, 
one little extra hidden step. Yes. You'll notice Please. that we haven't briefed our solution to the team yet. And that's because smart managers haven't come up with one yet. Step seven. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look. Yeah. Oh, I know. Everybody wants to know the answer. But step seven, the mass, the mystical, magical, hidden step happens when you say, okay, folks, what do you think we ought to do about this? This is actually the action step. And the best way to do it is to engage your team in the solution. Now they're invested. They've heard what you heard. We're all working from common data that came from customers. Yeah, they're going to push back on some stuff, but it'll be balanced by all the data from your customers. You'll probably hear less can't, right? my least favorite word in the language, because they know the customer is going to win at some point. And we assume, you, of course, you know that too. Um, if you come in and say, look, based on this, here's what we're going to do, there are going to be at least three out of 10 people who are going to just cross their arms. And, and I promise you, don't don't assume, you know, I say it's the mystical, magical, hidden step. Don't assume that it's the key that unlocks the riches to heaven. When you say that, what are we going to do? You're going to get some blank stares because it would be easier for them, for some of the people on your team to hear your answer and then disagree with it because that will motivate them to not do anything for some people. Um, but getting them involved in the solution, just like on step four of the feedback model, we say, what are you going to do differently when we give adjusting feedback? Getting them involved in the solution will increase the chances that they will put their best energy forward on the solution that they action. Right. I, I love this uh, magical, mystical step because I, it's after eight weeks, yep. maybe three months on the job, it would be um, – a mistake to assume that you understand exactly how your organization works. So if you come up with a solution, you're likely to overcome some fairly simple, straightforward things that can be done to improve the situation. Yep. Exactly. Um, so six steps, one hidden, and two of which, let, let's be let's be frank, we've practically done them <laughs> for you. <laughs> and they are identify who, prep your snapshot, five minutes long, nothing longer, uh, one one slide, one slide, one slide, one slide. Create your interview. Send out that email to individuals, not in a blanket form. Uh, conduct the interviews. Report to your team. And step 6A or step 7 is collaborate on the action step. What do you think we ought to do? I love it. I, I, I think um, this is a must move for managers new to their role. I think it's a darn smart move for any manager Um uh, taking over a, a, a team or, for that matter, somebody who just needs to reinvigorate their team and wants to make sure they're on the right track. And you can go out and ask customers anytime. And it wouldn't hurt if we then took a step further and asked customers regularly how we're doing. Now, that would be a good uh, that'd be a good thing to do. Yep. Hope, uh, hope some folks um, do this and give us some feedback on the forums of how it's working for them. Great. Be great. See you, man. Thanks, partner. Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed it and hope you can put this into effect immediately within your organization. Before we go, though, a quick reminder. It's the start of the new month and your votes at Podcast Alley, as always, are greatly appreciated. Now, there's a link on our website, www.manager-tools.com, so it couldn't be any easier. So until next time, have a great one and thanks for listening. So long.